If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg bringing you an episode from Cause Camp. So we are recording this in September in beautiful Huron, Ohio, and very, very excited to be talking to presenters who um, have been here at Cause Camp. Today, we're going to be talking with Kirsten Hill about how to fix your board leadership executive director relationship. I often say this as an executive director, our board leadership, that might be board chair, board treasurer, Um, but someone on the executive committee, our board leadership ED relationship is like a day at the beach. And what I mean when I say that is it is rarely perfect. So it can be too sunny and too hot at the beach. We've all been there. It also can be too cloudy and too rainy at the beach. We've also all been there. It is rare that we go to the beach and we're like, the temperature was perfect. I didn't get a sunburn. There were no riptides. The water was great, and it wasn't too crowded because on the days when the beach is perfect, it's really, really crowded. And, and that's why I just wanted to kind of share that metaphor because no matter how good our relationship is with our board chair or our board treasurer or anyone else in board leadership, let's face it, it can always be just a little bit better. Kind of like when we go to the beach, we're like, oh, if there was just a cloud right there or had I brought my umbrella, I, w- I would not be getting burned right now. So... I'm so excited for us to have this conversation with Kirsten Hill, and let me tell you a little bit about her. Kirsten is a three-time executive director. So she was the executive director of Big Brothers Big Sisters in Lincoln, Nebraska, Give Nebraska, and also of the United Way of South Central Nebraska. She also has significant fundraising experience and was the development director at the Lincoln Children's Zoo and is currently director of nonprofit solutions at Firespring. As you can imagine, in all of these positions, she has worked with board leadership and she has incredible insight about how we can fix a broken relationship or make a relationship, even if it's not broken, even if it's good, how we can make it even stronger. Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about. I'm passionate about people, you know, doing this board work better. So I think it's great. Thanks for having me. And I will say I was I was overhearing your conversation because you were in the main room. I was actually in another room, but they were broadcasting it in that room as well. I assume probably because your your main room was seating was full. And so there was overflow seating. But um, I actually just heard you talk about, I think, like the 10 things or 10 ways to build a, a stronger board. So I know that this is a real area of expertise for you. I, I think so. Yeah, I was excited when uh, Delaney and Nonprofit Hub asked me to speak on this. And I think one of the things about an opportunity to present these ideas is that I have the lived experience. You know, it, I think sometimes we hire consultants uh, and folks to come in and they don't, you know, they can give you theoretical ideas for how to manage a relationship or what goes into board work, uh, but they haven't had the lived experience. And so I hope that's what I bring uh, to the discussion is just some examples of what to do because I've done it and it's worked well and what I've done that didn't work well and I can help people avoid pitfalls. And let's dive right into that, that lived experience. I know just before we hit record, you were telling me about kind of a difficult relationship with a, with a board treasurer. Yeah, you know, I think it's like you said, there's no perfect relationship. Even the the board chairs or or you know, executive committees that I've worked with that I would say it was just, you know, the picture perfect relationship. Uh, it's, you know, it is a day at the beach and sometimes you find sand <laughs> where you weren't expecting to find sand. Uh, you know, there's there's never anything about it that's perfect. But I did have a, a treasurer one time that we just had very different philosophies in how things should go. Uh, and I had a vision for the organization and their vision was just slightly different. Uh, and we spent about a year kind of going back and forth. And uh, she was frustrated with me. I know I was frustrated with her. And I think that that's not unlike what other people experience. I, I think that's common. Well, so that frustration probably impacted your interpersonal interactions between the two of you. Absolutely. Uh, what I tried to be careful of was that it then did not interfere with interactions that I had with other board members or that she had with other board members. Uh, and so I tried to keep that as much between her and I as I could. But it is, uh, you know, it's it's challenging and it, it doesn't make the job as much fun. <laughs> Uh, for either party. I also knew that she was frustrated. So it wasn't just that I was, you know, really struggling with how to, how to, you know, make things work, but I know she was frustrated as well. Two observations that I have. The first is I actually feel like some stress in my chest when I hear you talk about <laughs> it, because I envision like in you receiving an email from the treasurer and you think, oh, I don't even want to open this. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it does get to that point where you're just dreading almost every interaction. Uh, and, and I think in the end, she and I kind of came to the conclusion that we were not going to find a way to see things in the same way. And I think that at the 
at the end of sort of the the culmination of the strife, so to speak, I think we just decided that it was probably better off for her and better off for me and our organization if she, what I call, meaningfully transitioned uh, away and was able to use her talents in another organization where she could you know, really feel a little more autonomy and 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 maybe direct things a little bit differently than what she felt comfortable and what I felt comfortable with having her do for our organization. So in the end, you know, that's that's one way to fix the situation is that if you really just can't work it out, then one or the other needs to needs to move along. And I was lucky that in this case, she made that decision uh, to move along and it wasn't me <laughs> that had to go. But I think, you know, we need to lay out all the options on the table. How can we work this out? And she and I were very honest with each other that when I mean, we knew that there were issues, we didn't pretend that there weren't issues. We didn't, you know, try and, and you know, tap dance around it. We really addressed it head on. My second observation, which you kind of just touched on, but I, I want to just, I guess, maybe make it a little bit plainer is you also essentially just said, hey, as the executive director, this was my job. I was paid to do it. But the treasurer was a volunteer and the treasurer was frustrated. And no one wants a volunteer job as frustrating. No, not at all. Not at all. And and I think as staff leadership, we don't want them to have a frustrating experience. You know, we wouldn't want somebody coming in in a different volunteer capacity to feel frustrated with their experience. And we certainly don't want our board members to feel frustrated with that volunteer experience either. So keeping that in mind, I think, is helpful uh, and and sometimes helps us get out of our own heads. You know, like uh, the way I'm doing it is always right and, and they're wrong. And, uh, you know, having that sort of outside perspective to think I want them to have a really good quality experience. And right now we're not achieving that. So I will share with you a uh, not dissimilar situation I faced, but one of the lessons I learned really early in my time, first time I was an executive director, is it's also good to just try to avoid a bad leader relationship. So if you see someone in the pipeline and you're like, oh, this is going to be a disaster, to find ways to open the pipeline and allow that person to, to, to exit the pipeline without becoming a leader. And I, I'll always remember, again, my... First time I was an executive director, there was there was someone in the pipeline to become chair of the board. And he found my personality annoying. <laughs> and I found his personality. Annoying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 literally like, but I will also say, and this is just kind of who I am, I will often take things like that as fuel. So like I'm gonna so so for example, in my first year there, we were doing an auction. It was an auction I inherited, not something that I decided we were gonna do. Um, but so it was planned before I got there. And again, it was, it's something I inherited. And so I had, I had to execute on it. And this future board chair said in a meeting to me, this auction is going to fail. And Dolph, you are going to fail as part of it. And that, that's the way he would approach the world. And that's the way he would approach meetings. And so I'll always remember, and like, this is before I was able to open the pipeline and allow him to, to leave. And so I actually went up to our website. And, you know, th- th- this, this, is, this is before the day and age of Canva. This is a long time ago. This is like 20 yeah, plus yeah. years ago now. But so, so I actually went up to our website and printed out his picture from the website and then, <laughs> and then hand wrote a little bubble on it that said, Dolph, this auction is going to fail and you are going to fail with it. And, and I pasted that up at my desk. I'm in a place where people who would walk in would not see it. So, you yes, know, yeah, so, uh-huh. so it's not like I put it on the wall, <laughs> you know, so, you know, so I pasted it like inside a drawer, but every time I opened that drawer and I had to open that drawer every single day, I would see that. And I used it 
like as you know, it's like as like fuel to be like so and so. I'll show you this auction is going to be a success. But but I'll also say that's not the way we should be driven. You know, like 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 if that's what we have to do in order to grin and bear a board member, we need to like help that person leave. Oh, absolutely, and and I think that for a lot of reasons, we want them to also find something that is more fulfilling, that's not frustrating. And so those meaningful transitions, I think are really important. And there's nothing wrong with it. it it's not a, it's not a, an indictment or an assessment of performance for either the staff or the board. I think it just is what it is. And, uh, you know, helping people move along when it's the right time, I think is important. And I think it's important to know that, uh, you know, so often I see, I see paid staff who just get so frustrated uh, and they sort of just live in that frustration. Uh, and and you don't have to live in that frustration. You, you can really help people uh, to move along and find something that's more meaningful for them. And so what's your MO when, when you decide, okay, this is a board member that, that we need to find a different meaningful opportunity for? What's your MO? How do you do that? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is bring in another another person from the board. Uh, I think you want to make sure that you're not establishing a board versus staff situation. And if we look at how boards are supposed to operate, it really should be the board chair. Now if you have the if the problem is with the board chair, then that's a whole that's a whole nother subject. But you know, I think you want to bring in a leader on the board. And uh, you, it's not a gossip session, but it is, here is the situation that I am having. Can you help me moderate this situation with this board member? And I think then it needs to be something that ideally is dealt with board member to board member instead of board to staff. And it needs to be a decision that the board is really taking care of internally. I am in full agreement with you. And often in my, in my work with some of my coaching clients, I will often say like when they're dealing with a difficult board member, your fingerprints and your signature should be nowhere on that blueprint. Nowhere. Like, because you're right, you don't want to set that, that confrontational piece up. And, and especially if it's a personality thing, because the other person will take that personally if they know it's you yeah. and set it up. Well, and there's just very few things that are more miserable than working continuously in an adversarial relationship. It's not fun. It is not healthy. It's not good for anybody. And so, you know, anything that you can do where you can separate yourself from that and you can bring in uh, one of their really equals a counterpart uh, to manage that relationship or to help you, I think is is really critical. And, and it just makes the experience better for everybody. You just don't want that constant adversity. So you also mentioned, hopefully it's not your board chair. When it is, what do you recommend? You go to your governance chair or what do you, what do you recommend? Yeah, you know, I think every board is different. It, it depends on the makeup, whether you go to the vice chair or, you know, another member of the executive committee or perhaps if there's someone. We all have board members who are influential, but they're not in leadership positions. And so sometimes you can use those folks. You know, it's it's the the gentleman who uh, every time he speaks, everyone on the board goes silent and is in agreement. You know, with with what that person says. So maybe that's the person you go to and say, "Hey, could you help me uh, with this relationship?" So I think it's it's finding the right person uh, to help you manage that. 
So what you just described is E.F. Hutton, if we remember that commercial from the 80s when E.F. Hutton talked, oh, people yes, listen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what if your issue is with E.F. Hutton and everyone everyone like acquiesces to E.F. Hutton? Oh, mm-hmm. well, that's what E.F. Hutton says. It, it must be right. Yeah. So I think two things. You, you need to uh, get a, a person in leadership that you can make sure that they can counter E.F. Hutton. <laughs> you know, you make sure that they they have an equal voice and you're sort of raising their, uh, their authority a little bit within the board. Uh, I also think, too, that, you know, maybe minimizing the opportunities for for that person to weigh in, you know, specifically calling on certain people to to weigh in and provide different different perspectives. It's uh, sometimes running a board meeting is skills and facilitation. You know, how do you get the the loudest person in the room to minimize their conversations while you allow the smaller voices uh, to raise theirs? And, and I will say sometimes I'll also do like some role play coaching. So, so for example, if there's the EF Hutton that we're having the issue with, that person that everyone listens to and acquiesces to, when when the board chair and I are discussing it, I'll even say, okay, well, we, we know EF is going to probably say this and everyone's going to acquiesce. How do you think you might respond in a way that will that will allow other people to stand up to EF? Sure. I think, I think that's great. And I think anything we can do, you know, sometimes it's, I feel like an executive director role is part therapist, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and really helping people to have, you know, quality professional interactions. And it's frustrating because we don't feel like we should have to do that, but I think that is part of it. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, just how can you make sure that everybody's voice is being heard uh, and not just that one person? I feel confident that some of our friends who are listening right now are saying, okay, well, this this is good to hear and understand if I end up having a problem board member or board leader, but I don't currently. So let's also talk about ways that executive directors and, and other staff members, but especially the executive director, can be building a strong relationship with their board leadership. So when I spoke this morning, one of the things that I talked about is I think one of the challenges of nonprofit leadership is that it is like driving the car, but doing it from the passenger seat. It's a constant balancing act and you're responsible for the direction the organization is going, but you don't actually get to touch the steering wheel or the gas pedal or the brake. And so... I think that there are some things that we can do to set ourselves up for quality relationships so that we're not as frustrated by that and we're, we're making sure the car is going in the right direction. And so I think some things like prioritizing onboarding is, I think that's probably one of the most critical and overlooked pieces of, of really, you know, working with a board. If you don't establish at the very beginning what it is that you want and need from people and how you are going to communicate, how you want them to communicate with you, then we're setting ourselves up to be disappointed or frustrated. And so I think onboarding is really critical and then ongoing training. So it shouldn't just be something that the only time you talk about how the board operates is in the onboarding process. I think at least once during every term, board members should have a refresher in what their roles and responsibilities are. And I think those two things will help to make sure that you don't have some of these problems in the long run. So uh, a couple of thoughts that I immediately have about that. The first is 
at successful nonprofits, when we facilitate onboarding for our clients, we strongly encourage sitting board members to at least participate in the governance session. To at least, which is that this is how the board works. These are the duties and responsibilities. Like I heard you say, and by the way, I do this all the time, the three legal duties, you know, loyalty, <laughs> care, and obedience. I heard you say yep, that this morning absolutely. as well. If you don't do this for a living like you and I do, yeah. it's easy to forget, oh, those are my three legal duties sitting on this board. 100%. In fact, a lot of board members even forget like the length of their terms or how many terms they're eligible for. And, and, you know, and I say this, I'm on a board and every now and then I have to look up, wait, is, am I, do I have a two-year term or a three-year term? So let me be clear, I'm not throwing stones. That happens when you're a board member. It's good to be reminded of it. And after you hear it a few times, you're more likely to remember it. And I, and I think too, it's just, we all need reminders of what our roles are, right? It's, a, it's the reason that we all have job descriptions because sometimes we need to go back and take a look and say, is this in the scope of what I should be doing? And providing that ongoing education and training, I think is just a great reminder for even the most experienced board member of what the role is that you need them to play. And I will also say that the board members who think they don't need the board training are probably the ones that you definitely wanna make sure are in the room. You just read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when that happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I've done some board trainings for uh, the nonprofit association of the Midlands uh, in Nebraska. And then we have a group in Lincoln, Nebraska called the Cause Collective, and they do some board trainings. And I've, I've been lucky enough to be a facilitator for both of those. Uh, and it's I, I always tell people, make sure everybody is here. This isn't just for new board members. This really is for everyone. It's a great reminder uh, on how we on how we want people to operate. Absolutely. Now, if we could just focus in for a minute on that board chair executive director relationship. I know you as an executive director have had some really good relationships with your board chairs. What are some of the things you've done to help ensure that they are strong and they stay strong? You know, I think part of it is communication. I think that is, in my opinion, the critical piece. And it's it's being intentional about the communication. So I had one board member who said, we are going to meet every other week and we're going to go to lunch and we're going to just talk about how things are going. And I knew that I had a trusted colleague and that she cared about the organization. She cared about the direction that things were going. If I had, you know, strategy ideas or I wanted to talk about maybe do we want to pursue a different grant source than what we're using, whatever it was, I just knew that she was invested and, and we met regularly. And so I also had another board chair who happened to office in the same building that we were in. And it was a less formal form of communication. It wasn't, let's go to lunch every other week, but it was, you know, on a regular basis, I would, you know, knock on her door and say, hey, do you have just five minutes that I can chat about something? That five minutes was never five minutes. It was always 15 minutes or 45 or whatever. But it was really helpful to just have that ongoing dialogue. So it wasn't as if discussing organizational issues 
was a big deal. It was just a part of how we both operated. And I think anything you can do to really communicate and develop those relationships, both, you know, a personal relationship and a professional relationship uh, helps to just smooth the way. Absolutely. And I'll share with you when I was an executive director, and I, and I do this as an interim too, if if when I'm considering the interim engagement, but also when I was an executive director and there was someone in the pipeline, if they say, oh, I don't have the time to meet with you at least <laughs> twice a month, then you don't have the time to be the board chair. And I'm not, not going to be your interim if that's the case. Because you know, one of the rules I always have, you talk about the importance of communication, is I have a no surprises rule with my board chair. And, and, I, and I always say that in our very first meeting. And I'll, and I'll often say it multiple times a year, just as, you know, I'll throw it out there, but it's just a general reminder. Um, you know, I, I never want the board chair to be surprised by something that I did not tell that person. And I never want to be surprised by something the board chair did not already share with me. A hundred percent. As a matter of fact, I have a little acrylic sign that one of my uh, one of my friends gave me a few years ago that sits on top of my filing cabinet in the office. And it literally says no surprises. I think if you approach the work from that standpoint, I don't want the board to surprise me with things I wasn't expecting. And I don't want to surprise them either. And so I think that's part of that ongoing development of the relationship and the information uh, is just, you know, identifying uh, we're not going to surprise each other with things we're not expecting. Because, you know, one of the ways, and I know you already know this, but, you know, one of the ways that the board chair, executive director, quote unquote, supervisory relationship, if you will. And, and that might be written into the bylaws, but if it's not technically not your supervisor then, but you know, but, but the way the board chair, executive director, supervisor relationship is so different from every other manager relationship is for the most part, when you have a manager, even if you work remotely, you see that manager every day, you know, you're doing check-ins. If you're working in an office, you're probably working in the same building as the manager. You know, they, they, they see how you're interacting with people every day. They're able to provide you a different level of feedback, et cetera. It's easier to have no surprises when you're seeing somebody every day. When you're only seeing someone twice a month, it's intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing, too, is we also want to foster this environment where we're giving them the information that they need to make decisions. I said earlier today in my presentation, in the absence of information, board members draw their own conclusions. And so if you're not explaining what the division of work is and how much time you're spending on programs versus how much time you're spending on fundraising or board development or whatever, if you're not feeding them that information, they're making assumptions about what's happening. And so the better that you can communicate and you can lay out some of that information for them, the better they're going to understand the role that you do. We can't expect them to understand what you do on a daily basis if you're not. Now, we don't want them in the weeds, right? We don't want them knowing hour by hour what you do. But at the same time, you've got to give them a little bit of information. Otherwise, they just don't know what they don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And and a corollary of that for me is also I need to help my board chair and my board members understand what I need from them or they're going to give me what I don't want from them. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. That's a it's perfect description. You know, yeah. It's like, and I, I really know that like if, if I don't, if I don't share with them what projects I need them to do, what's important for them to do, then they're going to come up with stuff and it's not going to be helpful for me. In fact, it's probably going to create work and angst and stress for me. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, give them the tools that they need to help you. uh, And they can only do that when you give them guidance. Yeah. Well, I normally have an off the map question that just kind of comes to me or that I've already prepared. And I can't believe this. I just don't have one. (laughs) I just, I don't. I mean, I know I could ask you about t-shirts, but that that doesn't seem like a great off the map question. And friends, you you don't want to hear that answer anyway. And I get that. But there's something that I've been playing with and thinking about so if you're up for taking a little bit of a risk, this is the first time I will have done this on the podcast. Absolutely. Kirsten. Let's do it. Okay. So instead of an off the map question, I would like to play with you three truths and a lie. So if you tell me, I, I apologize, I just got that wrong. Okay. I would like to play with you two truths and a lie two truths for a lie. total of three. Okay. And then I will try to guess what the lie is. And it's fine for me to be wrong. Okay. Let's see. Um, I have had dinner with Kevin Costner. I was the homecoming queen at my university. And I have served on the board of directors for four or more organizations. Oh, this is tough. Um, So I think you have had dinner with Kevin Costner. That is correct. Okay, so now I got a 50 50 <laughs> chance. <laughs> um, I also think you were homecoming queen. No, I was not. I was on the court, but I didn't make queen. Okay, because see, I thought you were going to say I was, I've served on the board of five organizations because I, I knew there was a trick in there somewhere. I was like, okay, yeah. I. It's not straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. So it's close, but no luck. Oh, I know. <laughs> wah, wah. Okay. I know. Okay. I so, know. so, so you were on the court. What was it like to be on the homecoming queen? Well, so I, I uh, went to school at the university of Nebraska and we are a big football school. So homecoming is a big deal. Uh, and I also went in the 1990s when Nebraska football was legendary. Uh, so being on the field at halftime was really cool picture on the big screen like it was it was cool we had a ton of fun the whole homecoming week all of the all of the candidates in court uh, we went out together and we went to pep rallies and events together it was one of the highlights of my college experience even if I didn't you know seal the deal (laughs) so I also know I'm going to get an email if I don't ask someone's going to say Dolph you asked about homecoming queen court, but not dinner with Kevin Costner. How could you bury the lead like that? Doll? Yeah. So. so this was, I'm again, going to date myself. I was actually in junior high. Uh, Kevin Costner was looking for locations to film dances with wolves when he was uh, producing that movie. And so we had some friends who actually at that time managed the largest wild horse sanctuary in the U S and they wanted to come out and look at the location and see if it would be a possible filming location. And my mom's friend called and said, hey, why don't you guys come and help me get dinner ready and you can meet Kevin Costner. And so my mom and I loaded up the car and we uh, we went up to uh, Cody, Nebraska, Cody and Nenzel, Nebraska, and uh, Kevin Costner and two producers came in and we were able to meet him and take pictures. And it was so much fun. And so that's always like my, that's my one claim to fame. That's also always my six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Everything goes back to Kevin Costner. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so like, I feel like I know celebrities because they're connected to Kevin Costner, right? <laughs> so he's my Kevin Bacon. He's my six degrees of separation. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. That is awesome yeah. beyond belief. And they didn't end up filming there. They came in and filmed some of the ancillary scenes. And like, if you see horses running in Dances with Wolves, it is, it may very well be the wild horses on that on that ranch, but they, the location actually ended up being too remote mm. to get film crews and, and all the electricity and the things that they needed to get in. But it was quite the experience. Mm. That, that does sound like quite an amazing experience. <laughs> it's pretty well, cool. Well, Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on. And let me just take a moment and share some URLs so that our friends who are listening will know how they can get in touch with you. So the first, friends, I want you to go to firespring.com. And Firespring is the consulting firm that Kirsten is with. Um, and while you are there, here's what you should do. You should click on their nonprofits tab, and you will see tons of resources and a blog that will help you really up your storytelling game and also up your fundraising game. Mm -hmm. So make sure you go to firespring.com and click on the nonprofits tab. Also, I am hoping that you are going to check out Kirsten's LinkedIn page. The LinkedIn URLs are always absurdly long. So we're just going to put a link to Kirsten's LinkedIn page on our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Hey, Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us ways that we can develop a stronger relationship with our board. Absolutely. I have. It's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I love helping nonprofits do their work better and easier. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Awesome. All right, friends, you know, I always ask you to do me this favor. Please rate and review the podcast. Um, and by the way, in Spotify now, you could even reply to us in the podcast. So you could just scroll down and you could click reply or leave a message about this episode. So I'd love to hear you. If you're in Spotify, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode through Spotify. That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And unfortunately, one of the constructs that we live in is that the lawyers make me say this at the end of every episode. Even though we talked about nothing, I think, that has to do with, with law or accounting, let me tell you, I'm not an accountant, nor am I an attorney. And neither I, nor the consulting practice, nor this podcast provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast, my friends, I say it every week, it's for informational purposes only. Whose information? Your information. This is for your informational purposes. And you should not rely on it for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please, for everything that you love, if you need tax, legal, or accounting advice, find a licensed, qualified professional in your area.